You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Let me describe a scenario that will be familiar to many of you. You're working in a small or even a medium-sized hospital. Perhaps you're the primary care doc or the ER physician, and your patient clearly needs a specialty that you know your hospital doesn't have. What do you do? Did you ever think your specialist would come but telecommute to the bedside? Yes, it's called telemedicine, and it's here to stay. But who is going to pay for it? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. James Marcin, an associate professor at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Dr. Marcin is a pediatric intensivist, but he is also the Pediatric Critical Care Director, Pediatric Telemedicine Center for Health and Technology. Thanks for being with us today, Dr. Marcin. My pleasure. Thank you. So today we're discussing telemedicine as a way to bring the consultant to the bedside. First of all, can you tell our audience a little bit about it and how you got involved with this? Because not everybody knows. Sure. The definition of telemedicine is just the delivery of health care over a distance using telecommunications technology. And typically we exclude telephone and fax medicine over this. There's two general types, and one is standard video conferencing where a specialist is on camera on one end seeing a remote provider, be it a physician extender or a physician, and the patient at a remote distance, and they can see each other and talk to each other live. The other general type is store and forward telemedicine where images are captured or a discussion is captured and is that, that's sent over a distance, and then the specialist can review that at some other time, and that's called store and forward telemedicine. And I became part of this program at UC Davis uh, nine years ago. The program has been around for 15 years, but it's just been a very exciting opportunity for me. And UC Davis, a goal of the institution is outreach and primary care, especially to underserved and rural populations. So early on, you got into this and you could see it had a way to meet the needs of your patients that couldn't get into UC Davis. Sure. And I used the technology to my specialty. So I do pediatric critical care, and so we have established links to rural emergency departments, rural community hospitals, or bigger-sized community hospitals that don't have pediatric ER or ICU doctors. Some of them don't even have pediatricians to be able to practice my specialty over a distance that way. And if you practice a different specialty, certainly you would be able to uses technology in whatever specialty you practice. In its basic form, is it a computer and a webcam? And that can be part of the solution. So yes, there's very expensive robotic systems and high-end, high-definition cameras at the more expensive and technologically advanced end, all the way down to the lower-end webcam, as you mentioned, that you can use broadband internet for. And what about the, the costs involved? If you're in a rural area and you may not have the money to have these positions on your staff and you may have a limited budget to start with, what can you tell our listeners about the costs? Well, that's a good question. And it would range considerably, as you can imagine, from a, a system that could be tens of thousands of dollars to have high-end high-definition video conferencing unit with a very secure, high-speed telecommunication center down to something relatively low-end. So to set up two sites, for example, it can be as low as hundreds of dollars if you use webcam technology in the Internet, but as you can imagine, the quality is not going to be as good as if you use high-end cameras, which 
can be, again, in the tens of thousands of dollars a range. And for the most part, you get what you pay for. It is really difficult for the rural sites to be able to do this because there, there may be a lot of out-of-pocket costs, but with grants and um, federal agencies and gift foundations, we've been able to set up a number of successful and sustainable rural programs. So have you ever had sites that wanted to do it, but they couldn't overcome the financial difficulties? Hopefully, yes. Hopefully those can be addressed. I think that the federal government and different states were fortunate in California because California has been very supportive of this type of health care delivery and being able to support programs like this. Tell us what you mean by California being supportive. What kind of things have they done? They have decreased a lot of governmental barriers to allowing broadband access in rural areas. The current administration under Governor Schwarzenegger has been very supportive with University of California support financially to expand telemedicine. Um, I think that it's part of the state's vision that this medical health care delivery system can address disparities in access to care that currently exists, a large part because of distance. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm fortunate to speak today with Dr. James Marcin, and we're discussing telemedicine, bringing the specialist to the bedside and being able to pay for it. Jim, do insurance companies bristle at reimbursement for this, or how, how are they reacting? It's kind of a funny and a very good question. Some of the insurance companies do react negatively to it. However, some of them actually react positively and support it. At the federal level for Medicare, there are federal regulations that require private insurance and Medicare to reimburse telemedicine if some stipulations are met. For Medicaid, it's left up to the state. More than half of the states have legislation uh, requiring the states to reimburse telemedicine. And then for the private payers, it's, it's kind of a mix in between. Again, there are some insurance companies that view this as a way of providing better primary health care to patients so the costs in the end are lower. And they've been very supportive and they have actually funded some grants and have telemedicine programs, and they pay for that, the private insurers whereas other private insurers try and stay away from it because they see increasing access as increasing money out of their pocket. Yeah, I could see where at the most fundamental level it may save lives, and at another level it may just bring a higher quality of care to the bad side. Right, and whether that higher quality translates into overall lower costs or not, that's, that's debatable. And what about credentialing? Is there any issues with state licensure and credentialing? There's pretty clear JCO standards on credentialing, within different hospitals. And a summary version of that would be if you're providing direct patient care involved talking to the patient, giving prescriptions and such, that you do need to have credentials at the remote site if it's an inpatient location. But if it's an outpatient location or if you're acting as a consultant, talking with the referring MD or provider, just like you would on a telephone, then you don't need to be credentialed state licensure, most states, unfortunately, do not recognize reciprocity for uh, telemedicine and require either to get the full medical license. Some states have telemedicine licenses, and these have primarily been put in place because of teleradiology, which is now a current standard of care. Now, can I guess that California is one of the ones that allow reciprocity or no? To a limited degree. Everything is just to a limited degree. 
Some states do have special telemedicines licenses, and that's primarily been set up for teleradiology. But there are efforts by the Federation of State Medical Boards to have states recognize reciprocity because it, it is kind of a it is a barrier for clinicians because there shouldn't be a reason why I shouldn't be able to see a patient in any other state over telemedicine. The technology is much ahead of the, the regulations and legal legalities of it. And then second regarding credentialing, there are HIPAA or rather JACO guidelines on this. And if you are providing inpatient services and direct patient care, you do need to be formally credentialed at the remote site. If it's an outpatient or a consultative model where you're speaking with the remote clinician and giving advice directly to the remote clinician and not directly to the patient, as if you were doing a telephone consultation, then you don't need to be credentialed at the remote site. Now, in the past, I mean, I I didn't personally, but I'm sure there must have been circumstances where physicians of one specialty or another, poison control comes to mind, where physicians were giving advice over the phone to another state, correct? Sure. And so that's been some of the arguments as to why this should just be allowed and considered telephone. But it, it really is more than telephone medicine. And if you're also talking about billing for services and being part of the medical record, then it's a really step up from that. So that's why the states are requiring more than just what's in is for telephone. And if you're prescribing, but the physician on the other end is actually writing the prescription, correct, or calling it in from his point? Yes, you could do it that way and have a consultative model. You probably get into circumstances where the physician who's seeing the patient isn't familiar with or doesn't have the experience in the medications you may be recommending. Right, that can happen. There's been a lot of fallout, as you can imagine, over the e-online prescribing industry. So a lot of states have set up very strict guidelines that you need to be credentialed in that state. You need to see the patient face-to-face first prior to using telemedicine, but that applies in certain situations only. So then they're not considering the computer or the video cam as being a face-to-face, or are they? In some circumstances, they do. In some circumstances, they don't. So for emergency situations, clearly they wouldn't require a first face-to-face visit, but for other models, they do want that. But that varies a lot between state to state. So California, it's okay to see a patient first time over telemedicine. In other states, that's not the case. What administrative support is needed to set up a hub and a remote hospital clinic to start a new program? What can sites that aren't experienced in this but interested in it from hearing our conversation, what kind of support or system do they need behind them? Well, that's a great question and very, very important. You know, we had mentioned the cost of the equipment, but there are a lot of personnel costs. You have to have clinician support on both the hub and the remote site. There has to be a physician leader, a champion that's going to say, hey, let's get on board. This is a good model of care and get the physicians to get on board. There also has to be administrative support from the hospital because it's going to require upfront costs on uh, both ends, mostly on the hub site, but they have to have this in the, in the vision of the healthcare system. Then there's also technical issues. Both sides should have at least a part-time technician that knows video conferencing and telecommunications. There could be legal issues, administrative with the memorandums of agreement, things like that. So it does, it takes a fair bit of a commitment, primarily on the hub site, and support with FTE to get a program going. And it can be used to maintain market share. I thought that was fairly exciting. Can you explain? That's right. As a generalization, telemedicine is more active in competitive market shares. Uh, As you can imagine, if I'm 
competing with other specialists for patients, then by getting my fingers out there with telemedicine, seeing patients in remote clinics or seeing primary care providers, helping out primary care providers, are more likely to refer patients to me because of that. But also, you can have your whole market share based over telemedicine. I, you know, there's several departments in our school of medicine that have increased faculty because of the volume of telemedicine patients that they see. So they'll be seeing half-day clinics, full-day clinics over telemedicine that you're actually able to grow your market share. I want to thank Dr. James Marson, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing telemedicine, bringing the specialist to the bedside and being able to pay for it. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.